passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. We are, we are in a season uh, where it's, it's, it's so exciting that uh, it's called Diaspora Missions, that uh, we have the opportunity um, not just to go to the nations, but also as the nations come to us uh, to share the gospel um, with those who haven't heard Jesus. And so it's encouraging to hear of that opportunity even in um, Northwest Iowa. Uh, this morning we're, we're going to be in, um, in 1 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and, and open up. Uh, last week we took some time to look at uh, our mission statement, we're in the midst of a, a four-week series looking at the vision that our elders have laid out for our church over the next five years of who we want to be, what do we want to be known for in our community. So last week, we looked at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. We looked at these parables about the heart of Jesus for those who don't know him. And, and this morning, we're going to look at our responsibility or, or what we can do as a people to be a part of the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. And I, I think this is, this is like the perfect time, really, for our congregation here in Spencer to be going through this series on, on our vision and the direction of our church. Because um, if, if you've been with us for a while, you know this. If you haven't been with us, if this is your first time, we are in the process of moving to a new location. And as we get into that new space over the, I don't know how long it's going to be, um, people ask me that question, I wish I could give you an answer. But eventually, we will be in a new space. And when we get into that space, it's important for us to remember and to remind ourselves and really to be uh, grounded in, in who is God calling our church to be. And Spencer, and in the surrounding communities, and Spirit Lake, and really to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning as we, as we work our way through this vision statement, these, these vision points that you can find in your bullets. And we're going to consider what does it look like for us to sacrifice for the sake of the mission that Jesus has given to us. So to be on mission with Jesus means that we must be willing to make sacrifices, and some of those are small. Some of those are going to be large, and, and some of those are, are going to be a call to sacrifice our pride. Others, are, it's going to be a call for us to sacrifice our preferences, and some of these sacrifices are going to be easy. Some of them are going to be very, very hard, but the call is for us to be people who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of others. This heart of sacrifice is, is what we see in the sixth point that our elders have laid out in that insert in your bulletin that you can see. It says this, we change and give up what we like for the sake of others. We are known as a church that embraces change. See, change is hard. I, I get that. And, and change without purpose isn't just hard. It can be damaging. It can oftentimes be pointless, but change or, or sacrifice, as I want us to consider it this morning, for the sake of mission, can still be hard, but my goodness, is it a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing to sacrifice for the sake of the mission that Jesus has entrusted to his people. 
And this is the heart of Paul that we see on display in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. He is so focused on the mission of seeing people who don't know Jesus come to faith in Jesus that he is willing to sacrifice anything and everything that he is able to do in order to further the spread of the gospel. And that's what we are going to look at this morning. So if you have a Bible, we're going to go ahead and start in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to give us a little bit of a context for this. Paul plants the church in Corinth, and and he, he actually serves in Corinth for about a year and a half. He's ministering there, and shortly after, God leads him elsewhere, and he continues on his second missionary journey. There are these divisions that begin to sprout up in the church in Corinth. One of those issues is that a number of people who have come to faith in Jesus all of a sudden start attending worship services in the pagan temples. And the reason is not because they're worshiping these pagan idols, it's because that's where the meat is. And I don't know about you, I I do enjoy some good meat. And so they, they go to the temple so that way they can eat this kind of food. And here's their logic. Paul actually quotes their logic in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He he says, you know, you guys are saying that gods in the temples, they're not real. So it's not a big deal if we go to the temple so that way we can go ahead and just eat their meat and, and it'll be okay. It's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 8 says this. Therefore... As to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. Notice the quotes there. And that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, and then he continues on in his argument. He's quoting from them and quoting their argument that this is okay because those gods don't exist anyway. And this leads to a schism in the church. And Paul basically says, well, well yes, the, you're right in, in the sense that these gods don't exist, but also at the same time, if you look around you, if you actually care about the people that are sitting right next to you, then maybe, just maybe, you should be willing to abstain from going to the pagan temple. Because the person who's sitting right next to you, they used to worship at that temple. And for them to consider going back into that temple isn't just because that's where the meat is. No, that's an act of worship for these pagan gods. And so shouldn't you be willing to sacrifice for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Jesus? And that's the focus of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. It says willingness to sacrifice for the sake of others. In the middle of this broader context, Paul actually addresses his own willingness to sacrifice his own rights that he has in Christ Jesus for the sake of the gospel. That's what we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Our passage this morning is a part of it. Go ahead, we're going to dive into this passage. You'll notice that in this passage, Paul basically, he, he's saying three things. First, he, he talks about following Jesus. Second, he talks about using the freedom that we have in Jesus. And then finally, he gives us his motivation. Let's go ahead and jump into God's word, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. 
To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, as, as we open your word this morning, we ask that you would speak to each of us here this morning through your Holy Spirit. And God, I ask that even now you would reveal to each of us, myself included, the areas of our lives where we are reluctant, even unwilling, to sacrifice our rights and our preferences for the sake of the gospel and its mission. God, we ask that you would help us to be a people that are on mission. And we ask these things for the glory and fame of Jesus in our community and to the ends of the earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, these, these verses give us Paul's priority when it comes to being on mission for the sake of Jesus. And, and it's really this. He just, he's saying, you know what? Every, every other good thing is secondary. It's secondary to the gospel and the mission of Jesus. Paul acknowledges a lot of good things in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. That's actually how he starts the, this chapter. He talks about these freedoms that he has in Christ Jesus. Over the course of 1 Corinthians 9, he, he makes it very clear that they are secondary to the mission that has been entrusted to him as a follower of Jesus. Consider just for example verses 3 through 6 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It says this, This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Does, or do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Notice that Paul lists these three rights that he's willing to give up for the sake of gospel ministry. First, he says eating and drinking. He's probably referring to eating meat and drinking wine. Second thing that he's willing to give up is getting married. Third thing is to receive financial support from these churches. And apparently, these were the hot-button issues in the church in Corinth. And so Paul says, you know what? These are my rights in Christ Jesus. And in fact, the first half of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is he's arguing for the fact that these are his rights. And then he switches in verse 15. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. In other words, what Paul is saying, verse, verse 1 through verse 14, he's saying, I have rights too. I have rights in Christ Jesus. This is what I have as being someone who is free in Christ, and yet I am not going to take advantage of those because I'm willing to sacrifice those rights. I'm going to use my freedom because of the calling that I have in Jesus. Rather than addressing their rights, their rights to eat in the, the temple, Paul says, hey, you know what? Look at me. And look what I have given up for the sake of gospel ministry. See, Paul sees his freedom 
in Jesus actually as an opportunity to follow Jesus because Jesus does the exact same things. Jesus, when he comes to earth, does the exact same thing. Paul actually uses similar language here as he talks about in verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant or a slave to all. And Paul picks up on that in a later letter that he writes. In in the book of Philippians, he's describing Jesus. And really what he's describing is that as followers of Jesus, we on mission literally follow Jesus. We are following the exact same pattern that Jesus has placed before us. So later on in his ministry, he writes this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, describing what Jesus does. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, literally a slave, being born in the likeness of men. So what Paul is doing in Philippians chapter 2 is he is saying that Jesus is co-equal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's eternally existing as God in this triune God. And if Jesus is co-equal with God the Father and God the Spirit, and as, as such, he's the Lord of the entire universe, the maker of the entire universe, he asks, what are Jesus' rights? What is Jesus entitled to? And you think about it, it's pretty much anything and everything that Jesus would want, right? Those are Jesus' rights as the Lord of the universe. When you're the Lord of the universe, you are in charge. That is your right. Others exist to serve you. That is your right. And Jesus could have used his exalted position in the universe to his own advantage. And no one would have been able to bat an eye because that is his right. And yet we look at Philippians chapter 2. We see that Jesus, the God of the universe, the one who has more right than you and I could ever fathom, does something completely different than you and I are prone to do. Though the rights and privileges of being God were his. He did not cling to them for his own advantage. I love this word picture that Paul gives us here. He says that Jesus did not consider this something to be grasped. And I love that word grasp because when I I think of the word grasp, I think of a child who's just holding on to a toy and refusing to share, only considering themselves. I think of a politician who's staying in office for far too long, just holding on to that office rather than actually doing good things for those that they have been elected to serve. Jesus doesn't grasp, doesn't cling to these things that are only about him, but freely gives himself for the sake of others. That's what we see in Philippians chapter 2. And we head back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and we see the awesome weight of what Paul is saying here. That just like Jesus, we don't, we don't grasp what is ours by right in Christ Jesus, but now we get to freely give up for the sake of others. And when we do that, we follow Jesus on mission. 
We ask why. Well, Paul gives us the answer next in verse 19 at the end, 20, 21, and 22. He says this, So that I might win more of them. Paul makes it abundantly clear why he is so willing to sacrifice his rights, so willing to use his freedom to become a slave. It's because it pales in comparison with the possibility, the possibility that those who don't yet know Jesus might come to know Jesus through his ministry. In other words, what Paul is saying, he's saying that freedom that has been entrusted to us is for the sake of the mission. Every single one of us is free in Christ Jesus if we belong to Christ Jesus. We just sang a song about the freedom that we have in Christ. And Paul argues that that freedom is for the sake of the mission. If you are in Christ, then you are free, but don't use that freedom to grasp after your own good, but follow in the footsteps of Jesus to use that freedom for the sake of the mission. Notice this word, this word Paul uses here to describe people coming to faith. The ESV, uh, the translation that we use here on Sunday mornings, translates this word as win. But it's also translated other places in the Bible as gain, like in Philippians chapter 3. The focus, I love this word, because the focus isn't so much on victory and conquering, which we can oftentimes think of when we think of win, but the focus is on the end result. When Paul says, so that I might win some, he is not saying so that I can conquer, so I can be victorious. He's saying because then I can gain people. That more people will come into the family of God, that I will be able to add to the number of the redeemed that are worshiping King Jesus. And so I'm willing to do whatever I can to be on mission. This is a governing principle of all of Paul's ministry. Every other good is secondary. It's it's subservient to this mission of adding to, gaining, adding to the number of the redeemed, those who don't know Jesus coming into the family of Jesus. And he gives us three examples of how this works out in his own ministry. That's in verses 20 through 22. First thing he says is this, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win or gain Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win or gain those who are under the law. So this first group that Paul uh, looks at are, are the Jewish people. He refers to them a little bit later, uh, as we just saw, as those who are under the law. And Paul says that he will gladly live under the cultural customs, the Jewish rituals about abstaining from certain foods, following purity laws, observing all of these feasts and festivals, if that means that Jewish people will come to know Jesus as Lord. And in fact, Paul does this throughout his ministry. When he is around Jewish people, he adopts his lifestyle, he adapts his lifestyle to be like those that he is around so that he will not provide this stumbling block for those who don't know Christ Jesus. 
Now, Paul makes it very clear that he is not under the law. He says, I'm, I'm doing this of my free will. I'm gladly giving up the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus so that I will live under this cultural expectation of the Jewish people so that they might come to know Jesus. Actually, one of the interesting things about Paul is Paul is completely okay with those who are Christians, who who converted out of Judaism, continuing to adhere to the law. The Jewish church in Jerusalem in that first century most likely completely continued to follow the the cultural practices that we see in the law. That's likely what James in the book of James is referring to. And Paul is okay with that, provided that they recognize that their salvation first is only in Christ Jesus through faith in him. And second, they don't think that they're they're better or or superior to those that have... uh, a different lifestyle that don't follow the same cultural norms. Paul is saying that I am going to live or submit myself to the cultural expectations of those that I am around so that I might win or gain these Jewish people. He gives us a contrast in verse 21. He says this, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win or gain those outside the law. So when Paul is among Jewish people, he acts like a Jew. But when he is among Gentiles, those who are outside the law, he acts like a Gentile. And I would just add to an extent. He acts like one to an extent. Among the Gentiles, he doesn't insist on following all of these purity laws. Actually, a chapter later in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul gives us a a picture of what this would look like in practice. He says this, "If If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. So if your unbelieving neighbor says, hey, I'm having a a meal, I'd like you to come over to our house, and and, and you end up deciding, you know what, this is a good thing, I can go to that. Paul says, you know what, I want you to eat whatever they put in front of you. Don't ask, once you're sitting at the table, hey, has this meat been sacrificed to one of these pagan gods? Just, Just eat it. And again, Paul does this throughout his ministry as well. Now, Paul, of course, does qualify this in in chapter 9, verse 21. He's not saying the ends justify the means, and so that way you can do whatever you want so that people will not be offended by the gospel. Now, Paul makes it very clear that even though he is not, he's acting like those not under the law, he is still under the law of Christ. In other words, he still have, you still have to follow the ethical imperatives of the gospel as someone who's living a life worthy of Jesus. But Paul is basically saying the gospel is a big enough stumbling block on its own. So as much as you are able, don't add to it. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Paul gives us one more category in verse 22. He says this, To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. Again, Paul is willing to change his approach to fit the context that he is in. And so, 
He will abstain from eating meat when he is around those that find that to be offensive. But he's not just referring to this weak conscience here. He's also referring to the despicable positions that people had in that culture. And of many, many of those people who came to faith in Jesus in Corinth came from these places. Consider how Paul begins his letter of 1 Corinthians. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. In other words, what Paul is saying is that when he is among the destitute, he finds in his own life, he he limits himself to the exact same type of life. It's not as though he ministers to these people and then after he's done, he goes and stays in the five-star hotel down the street. No, he limits himself and serves as one who is weak, destitute, desperate, because Paul is willing to do whatever is necessary for the sake of the gospel's spread. And in doing so, he provides us this beautiful picture reminding us that the freedom that we have in Christ is freedom that we are to use for the sake of mission. And that's really how Paul ends this paragraph. At the end of verse 22 and in verse 23, Paul is talking about his motivation. He says that we have to be motivated by mission. Motivated by this mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. He gives us three interconnected motivations here. Let's consider each of them. Verse 22. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So Paul is saying that he does all of this so that some people will be saved. Paul is is under no illusion that everyone will be saved by this approach. That everyone will be convinced. The call of the gospel is still this call to come and die. And this new birth that we experience in Christ Jesus is still a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Not everyone will be saved. Just because you are willing to adapt to the cultural norms around you doesn't mean that everyone will be saved. Just because you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of the mission doesn't mean that every single person that you interact with will come to know Jesus. But some will. And some is worth it. That's what we looked at last week. Luke chapter 15. One is worth it. Paul says he does all things for the sake of the gospel. In verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Here's another motivation. Everything that Paul does is for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of its spread. Have you ever considered what this passage would look like without the second half of every single verse, really? If, if you were to, to just describe Paul's life without the second half, without his motivation here, 
this willingness to sacrifice for the sake of the mission. Here's, here's how Paul would come across. Let's go ahead and throw this up. To the Jews I became as a Jew. To those under the law I became as one under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. To the weak I became weak. I become all things to all people. So when you don't see Paul's motivation on display, Paul is not only changing his mind on a whim, but he also kind of looks like a coward. Because here's this person who's ruled by peer pressure. He's, real, he's ruled by the cultural temperature of the day, whoever he's around. He lacks this integrity because who he is is determined by who he is around. But when you see his motivation, when he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel... For the sake of the mission, it reveals his heart. And honestly, that's the same heart that we saw from the shepherd last week, from the woman who, who was looking for her last coin last week. Paul isn't lacking integrity. No, at the bedrock of all that he does is this commitment to the gospel that will not be shaken by non-essentials to the gospel. That's the deepest form of integrity. It gives us a third reason that I might share with them in its blessings. I love, I love this ending because Paul is looking forward to the day when he gets to rejoice with those who have, have come to the faith, those who have been added to the number of the redeemed through his ministry. He says, I, I look forward to sharing with them in its or the gospel's blessing. Salvation is always relational. It restores this vertical relationship between God and humanity, but it also creates this new horizontal relationship between us and other people. Among God's fa family, his people, and we will enjoy his goodness together forever. And Paul says that the thought of getting to share in the blessings and the goodness of God with other people, with those who don't know Jesus yet, that's enough for him. It motivates him to do whatever is necessary for the sake of the mission of Jesus on earth as expressed in his local church. You know, it's not for nothing that Paul actually ends this chapter with his famous charge to self-discipline. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it a slave lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Corinth was a sports-crazed city. And Paul looks at the, the example of these ancient athletes and says, do you see how hard they work in pursuit of this perishable crown? Every two years, there was a, a games that was held, kind of like the Olympic games. It was the Isthmian games that were held at Corinth says, do you see how hard those athletes work for this perishable crown? 
They actually handed out crowns of celery. Talk about a perishable crown. I would have thrown it away right after I got it. He says, you see how hard they're working for this. They're training for months. They were required to train for months. In the ancient Olympics, for you to even compete, to be considered to compete, you had to take a vow to abstain from food like meats. You had to take a vow to abstain from, from wine and from sex for 10 months before you were to participate. The last month you spent in isolation in this villa, and then you had to vow before the gods that you had kept all of these requirements before you were even allowed to compete. And that's for a perishable crown. And Paul says, how much more willing should we be to go through whatever lengths are necessary for this imperishable crown of life? It's not a coincidence that verses 24 through 27 come right after what Paul has just said about being willing to sacrifice for the sake of mission. It's, it's really kind of implied from Paul that if you aren't willing to sacrifice the non-essentials for the sake of others coming to know Jesus, then are you really going to receive an imperishable wreath, an imperishable crown? That's the underlying question that we see right here. That's what's driving this passage. Paul is holding forth himself as an example of how to be on mission, of how to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus' mission. And he actually says so at the end of chapter 10. He comes back and he's wrapping up this entire conversation and he says this, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And Paul holds himself forth as an example for every single one of us of what it looks like to faithfully sacrifice non-essentials for the sake of the mission. And this passage asks each and every one of us, am I willing Am I willing to sacrifice my rights, my preferences, for the sake of Jesus' mission? Am I willing to sacrifice what I want for the sake of the mission so that some might be saved? I mentioned as we began this morning that this, this is a, a discussion that comes at a perfect time in our church's life as we prepare for our future home. We've been a portable church for seven, seven and a half years. And, and change, being willing to change, has really been ingrained in our identity. It's not because of some choice that we've made. It's just really been by necessity. About six months after we launched, um, I, I messed up our lease with the school district. We were renting from the school, and we were using the old auditorium on 4th Street. And uh, in our agreements, we were going to vacate that space for their fall musical that takes place every November. We had also agreed to vacate it the week before, I forgot that. 
we found out that we didn't have a place to worship like three days, four days before we actually had to have services. And I'm like, oh goodness, how, how are we going to pull this off? Every place was booked in town, except for Legends Event Center, if you remember where that used to be, I'm just south of the community theater. And so I called that person up and, and uh, they, they were willing to let us be there. Um, we actually had people standing outside the auditorium with um, directions to where to go because uh, we didn't want people to show up on a Sunday morning and be like, wow, was this church like just made up? Where, where'd it go? And so we're, we're directing people there to this space. It's, it's too small for us. Uh, we, we actually had to set up our nursery and childcare in the back and used curtains, like these curtains. To, these, I, I don't know if you know this, those are not soundproof. <laughs> Have the nursery in the back. I, I walked in to begin the, the, the setup process, and the person that was managing the place at the time, um, extremely apologetic uh, and gracious. They had, had a wedding reception there the night before, and a ton of beer had been spilled everywhere, soaked the carpet, and so he's got two cans of Febreze and he's running through the place spraying both of them. It did not help at all. But I really appreciated the thought. That was like our best Sunday in our first year. That man, actually, I got a chance to talk to him afterward. He had walked away, actually, from a calling to serve in ministry, had left the faith completely. He attended our service. I, I still remember what I preached on. It was the book of Jonah. My sermon was called, No One's Too Far Gone for God's Grace. I had a chance to talk to him after the service. We, didn't, we never saw him again. Not everyone will be saved. But some will. Over the course of the last seven years, seven and a half years, I think we've met in nine different places. We've had like eight different service times. We've had children's ministry before the service, after the service, during the service, no children's ministry, which is not a smart idea. Wednesday nights. One time we had children's ministry in a, in a building in the middle of March that didn't have heat, and so we had to run kerosene heaters in the building, hoping and praying that we didn't burn the place down while also trying to take the bite out of the cold. We've done baptisms at the auditorium. We've done baptisms here. We've done baptisms at the lake. We've done baptisms at the Y. We've done baptisms at the aquatic center. We've done baptisms out at Scharnberg. Our Christmas decorations. It was so funny when we first came here. One of the questions First Christian lovingly asked us was, what Christmas decorations do you want to put up? We don't have Christmas decorations. Our Christmas decorations when we were at the auditorium were determined by what the elementary musical was each and every year. <laughs> Jack Frost, I think, once. We have been willing to change. Our commitment to Scripture hasn't changed. Our commitment to the Gospel has remained firm through it all. But we've changed and changed and changed our methods and I don't think any of it can be considered a sacrifice, some, a little of a sacrifice. 
but not a sacrifice of preferences necessarily. It was all just really survival. But now we're getting into our own space. And with that comes attachments, comes preferences. I want to be crystal clear. That's not a bad thing. I, I really hope that you are attached to your church. I really hope that you are committed enough to your church that you actually have preferences about how we do ministry. Those are good things. But they're not the main thing. We have to have this culture that embraces change, that says, I will sacrifice for the sake of the mission so that some might be saved. When we say we want to be a church that embraces change, it's not, it's not because we love change. I'll, I'll be the first to say I don't really like it. My wife tries out a new dish at home and our kids are complaining about it and I'm not complaining. But inwardly, I'm like, come on, really? We could have just gone with one of our, like tacos. Everyone loves tacos. I don't really like change. But I love seeing people come to know Jesus that don't know him. We're not changing for the sake of change. We're changing. We will embrace change because we love the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. And just like Paul, we'll do whatever is necessary within the bounds of biblical faithfulness, within the bounds of, of who God has called us to be as a unique expression of the local church, so that we might save some. Some of these sacrifices for the sake of the mission, small. Some will be big. I don't have anything in mind. I'm not leading to this big reveal. I really don't have anything in mind. I just think there's something profoundly healthy about being a church that is willing to sacrifice willing to make changes, that's willing to make big asks of people so that we can more faithfully live out the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us. So ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of Jesus' mission? When Paul arrived in Corinth, he didn't expect to stay and minister there for 18 months. Actually, it wasn't until Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a vision and said this, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, for I am with you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. I often wonder, how much did Jesus' words to Paul affect, influence Paul's commitment 
to the people in Corinth. Not only really in Corinth, but, but his, his mission work to the ends of the earth as he, as he spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire. Do you catch the weight of what Jesus is saying here? He's, he's assuring Paul that even though there really aren't any followers of Jesus yet in Corinth, that, that there are people in Corinth who are not yet believers, but who are my people. That they're not following me yet, but you keep preaching the gospel, Paul, and they'll come to faith. Not all of them are my people, but I have people in this city. Same is true in Spencer. Same is true in Everly. And Ruthven, Milford, Emmitsburg, Spirit Lake. There are people here who have not yet come to faith in Jesus, but they will. Are you willing, as a follower of Jesus, are we willing, as a church with Jesus' as Lord, to say, I will sacrifice for the sake of the mission. That I will gladly give up the preferences that I might hold so that by all means we might save some. Let's pray. Jesus, we... I just, I first want to say thank you that you don't ask us to do something that you didn't do first. That any sacrifice that we make for the sake of the spread of the gospel pales in comparison to the sacrifice that you made to make the gospel even possible. God, it's our desire to be faithful to the calling that you've entrusted to us as a church So help us. Strengthen us, Jesus. We ask these things for the sake of Jesus' fame and glory in our community and to the ends of the earth. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.